amazing time of worship of just uh, recognizing and declaring what is true about you, and that is that you are holy. And yet in your holiness, God, we deserved justice and you gave us mercy. And we just praise you and we thank you. God, I pray today as we continue on with our, just our, our challenge on forgiveness that we'll never, just for, we'll never forget, we'll never get over that wonder. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 51. I feel like I need to challenge Pastor Jamie's theology a little. I do not think you can worship God listening to country music. That's just my opinion. But um, You know, that portion that Pastor Jamie read in, in uh, Revelation about in heaven, there was an also a picture, the same picture of that in the book of Isaiah of a place in heaven where Isaiah saw the majesty and glory of God. Nobody on earth fully has seen the glory of God when on full, on full display. In the transfiguration, they saw the curtain was peaked a little, but in our present state, if the glory of God was demonstrated, we'd all die. In heaven, when our perfected bodies were going to see it, and so uh, Isaiah saw a little bit of that picture, the glory of God, with all the display in front of the angels. And I heard once an old country preacher, uh, living down south, and he was trying to explain it. And I loved how he explained it. He goes, there it was, the glory of God was just an all this. And he said, one angel had to say something. <laughs> and he said, another angel said, oh, that's good. Holy, the second one said, and the third one said, that's good too. Holy! And so that's how he explained it. So that's what, and I thought, you know, what a great way. And you've seen the glory of God and seen the holiness of God. And last week, we talked about how that God and his holiness cannot tolerate sin. And while we were sinners steeped in our sin, wallowing in our degradation without hope, that's when God reached down by grace. And even though he's holy, he justified us through the blood of the Lamb. And God is just because the price was paid in Christ and Jesus paid our eternal hell. Do you remember we talked about the, the woman, the prostitute? I mean, you couldn't be more critical or degrading to a woman than the day of Jesus, or maybe today, and saying, well, she's a prostitute. And here she was at the, at the house of a Pharisee. Oh, righteous, self-righteous, and self-everything. And he, she climbed over the courtyard wall. She came to Jesus' feet and she wept, rained tears. She rained tears on his feet and she broke the bottle of perfume. The smell filled the area. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. And remember what Jesus said, those that are forgiven much, love much. Those that are forgiven little, love little. And, and it, it's not about the amount of sins that you commit. Remember, it's not about your sins. It was about your sin. She got it. It wasn't about her prostitution. That wasn't, the, that, that wasn't the issue. The issue was her sin nature. It was the core of who she was that God forgave, not just her prostitution, but the sin core issue. She got it. The Pharisee didn't get it. Simon did not get it. He was all consumed about his how he dressed, how he ate, where he was, everything consumed about his self-righteousness. 
And so she was forgiven. You see, Christians who struggle forgiving others are shod. When we forget who we are and what God has done for us, we over-evaluate ourselves and we devalue God. And so last week we saw how God forgave us our sin. Today we're going to look at now how God forgives our sins. Now, I know many of you want our series now is on forgiveness, forgive for life. You saw the t-shirts, I'm sure, on our First Impressions team and on our, on our kids' ministry team. And, and we're going to get through that. And some of you are going, well, listen, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm struggling with forgiveness. I'm struggling with it with somebody else. But you keep talking about us and God. And that's right. You know why? Because if you don't understand how God forgave us, if you don't understand how God wants us to confess our sins to him, you're never going to get the relationship this way correct. In fact, let me just say a couple things about that. Every time there's a conflict between people, between two people, there's always one or both of them have a conflict between them and God. Think about that for a second. Every time my wife and I have counseled or worked with people and there's a conflict between two people or three people or however it may be, conflict between people, one or both of them have a problem between them and God. And if that problem between them and God is not corrected, the the conflict between people will never be corrected. The second thing, when we talk about forgiveness... In the next three weeks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to delve into how to forgive one another, but all of us struggle with forgiveness specifically to family members. Many of you are struggling with an area of forgiveness. No, let me say, not all of us, okay? Let's just be honest. I'm tired of saying many and then saying, and then saying maybe just 1% they're not, but just about all of us are struggling in the area, to, to maybe small degree or great degree, with the area of forgiveness with somebody, whether to a, a, a son or daughter, to a mom or dad, uh, maybe aunt or uncle, grandparents, somebody in the family, somewhere. And you know why? Because we are the most vulnerable to those in our family. And so they're the ones that can easily offend or hurt us more than anybody else. So there's hope to get right into that and how to deal with that, but understand that will never happen. Forgiveness will never happen in family members or anyone else relationships you might have if you don't capture the fact that you are justified by God in salvation. And today, we're going to talk about forgiveness in God and our walk with Him. 1 John 2 and verse 12 says this, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on the account of His name. You see, God has already forgiven all your sins. When you sin, you cannot break relationship, you break fellowship. You can't receive God's forgiveness for fellowship until you confess and repent. Now let me back up and explain that to you. Once you are saved, God forgave you of all your sins. Your sin and all your sins, they're all covered. The sin that you're going to commit tomorrow, it's covered by the blood of Christ. The sin that you're going to commit a week from now or a year from now, it's covered by the blood of Christ. All sins are covered. And what that does is that makes your relationship with God secure. Your relationship with God can never be broken. But watch, your fellowship can. You see, sinning tomorrow, sinning later on today, or whenever it may be, doesn't break relationship, but it breaks fellowship. Let me give you an example of that. I say something harsh to my wife, or I just kind of make a joke that I think is funny, and I call her a horse or something like that, and you know, that guys think things are funny that aren't, and then all of a sudden, she's not. She doesn't think it's funny, and she gets hurt. So all of a sudden, I ask a question. It, are, you know, 
did I hurt you? And she, and she says, I'm fine. Are you tracking with me, man? So I'm going, okay, she's fine. She's not fine. Yeah, mom in trouble. Yeah. Now watch. My relationship with her is secure, but there is no fellowship, okay? Not until I work through that and get to the other side of, of you know, why she's so over. <laughs> you see, we God's the same way. And, and so today, what happens when we, have, we sin and have a sin? And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Now, interesting, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. I think a lot of people, when they come to God, they say, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. They're already forgiven. You see, God's already forgiven you. What he's waiting for is for you to confess. And the word confession means agreeing with God about he, how he views your sin. Confession means, I agree, God, I, I, I did not see that sin like you did, and now I do. I understand that it, the, that's a sin, the sin of pride, the sin of selfishness, the sin of a harsh word is equal to the sin of prostitution, murder, or rape, or anything like that when it comes to, it's why Jesus died for us. Do you understand that? Now, some of you go, did you just say that, you know, that... The sin of pride or harsh words is the same as the sin of, of rape or anything else. Really, Pastor Rick, didn't you, isn't that an exaggeration? It's not, and I'm going to show you in a second. You see, here's the thing. He said that you need to confess and then repent. Repent means changing your mind about your sin. See, Psalm chapter 51 develops the Old Testament's most complete single statement about the theology of sin. But let me give you a little background. We find it in 2 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapters 11 and 12. King David, he was king over Israel at the time. And this was a time where kings go out with their men to battle. And David, for whatever reason, doesn't explain why, but he chose not to do that. He chose not to fulfill his responsibility. Now, this is interesting. Watch the progression. David chooses not to fulfill his responsibility. So the men are out to battle. David is on top of his castle, and he's walking around his castle, and his castle would be higher than the rest of, the, the rest of Jerusalem. Uh, the buildings there, most of the houses, had an open courtyard. So it, it, it was around there. It would be enclosed, but the, uh, the courtyard would be in the middle. It was an open courtyard. That's where they used. They would have a, a, a bath area, where a, wa a container of water, where they would wash and bathe, but they'd also use the water for other things, like a well, and then they'd also have a place for, uh, to cook. And so they would cook outside and they would have water. And so apparently this one lady was, was bathing. Now, I, I don't believe that she was trying to bait uh, David because that's what they do. They, they, and so she was bathing. He was up on top of the castle and he was a peeping Tom. He was looking down and saw her bathing. And here he is not fulfilling his responsibility. Now he, he is in a position where he can lust and he does. He indulges in his lustful pleasures, watches this woman bathe. Then he tells his servants, go get her. The servants go and get Bathsheba, and Bathsheba comes into David. And I, I personally believe she didn't have a choice. Whether or not she did or not, I, don't think, I mean, you don't have a choice. Understand, at that point, it's an absolute king. And, and so he, she didn't have a choice, and she went into him, and, and they had sex. And, and virtually, I believe, he raped her. And then he, and so then she goes home, she gets pregnant. She, she goes back for, uh, through a servant, hey, I'm pregnant. 
So now David, he, he, first of all, he, he, misses, he does not fulfill his responsibility as going out with, with, his, his, uh, with his command, with his army. Not, then he begins to lust. Then he indulges in his lust and, and, and commits adultery and rape. And now she's now pregnant. So you see how he, he gets further and further into this? Instead of stopping at any point and saying, God, I messed up. I screwed up. I need help. He doesn't. He tries to keep fixing it. Does it sound like you and me sometimes? And so now what does he do? He brings home Uriah, who's one of his top military, echelon military men, and the husband of Bathsheba, the, the lady he got pregnant, and says, gets him drunk and tries to send him back to his house. Hopefully they'll have sex, and then he can say it's his baby. So he's got this whole plan, but Uriah, even a drunk Uriah, says, oh, while my men are out fighting, how dare I enjoy this pleasure and would not do it. So now David said, okay, now what I'll do is this. He writes a note, gives it to Uriah, sends him back, and then General Joab takes the note, and the note says, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, right in the heat of the battle, and when it's there, tell the other men to back off, and they did, and Uriah was killed. So now add murder to his repertoire of things that he did. Do you think when David started way over here, and just not fulfilling his responsibility of going out to men, did he ever dreamed that it would end over to murder and rape and adultery and everything else? No. But he ended all the way there. And here, now this is the one that blows me out of the water. This is the one that just, I, 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 you read the story, he lives this way for an entire year. The entire year. Somehow he rationalizes in his brain he lives in a delusional state that what he did was okay. Well, kings have needs, right? And kings have this. And, hey, I didn't kill Uriah. I mean, hey, battles happen. And whatever he did rationalizes the whole thing out. But, but now stop for a second. Who knew what David did? Well, the servants that went and got Bathsheba knew. There was the, the, the servants that Bathsheba said that I'm pregnant knew. King General Joab knew, all the, the men that were around Uriah that backed away knew, and things today are no different than then. In a year, how many people in Jerusalem do you think knew? They all did. Everybody knew what King David did except for King David. He's walking around like the emperor's new clothes thinking, hey, I got away with it, I'm doing fine, and I'm rationalizing it out, and everybody in the kingdom knew what was going on. And finally, Nathan, who was a prophet, came to King David. And understand, this is absolute power. David could kill whoever he wanted to. You don't walk into the king's presence and say whatever you want to and think you're going to get away with it. And so, but God put him up to King David and looked him square in the eyes and said, basically, a story basically said, you're the man, you're in sin, and you committed you know, sins against God. Anybody else saying that could, it could have gotten their head cut off, but with Nathan saying that, it touched David's heart. And David finally said, I am a wreck. And he writes Psalm chapter 51 in response. And what we find here in Psalm chapter 51, I call it the steps to freedom. Have you been there? Have you ever been over here 
and said, listen, you know what Satan does? Satan never t- calls you to murder anybody. Satan's never going to say, I want you to commit adultery. I'm gonna re- I want you to wreck your marriage. I want you to get a divorce. Satan never starts. Satan starts over here and says, hey, just don't fulfill that responsibility. Students, he just says, listen, it's okay to look at someone else's paper. It's not a real dirty joke. It's just, it's funny. You know, we start over here, right? And the little, the little sins. Don't you love how we categorize sins? And then all of a sudden, it's a snowball that runs down the hill, runs down the hill, and then we find ourselves in a mess. And some of you today are here. You're over here and you're going, you know what, I've been living my life and and, and I've been rationalizing my sin and I'm living in a delusional state of my mind and 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 I'm here. And and some of you are going, well, but Pastor Rick, I've not committed murder, I have not committed rape, and I haven't committed adultery. No, worse. Some of you are full of pride and arrogancy and you're full of selfishness and you're full of harshness and you're full of yourself to the point where you are no no better than what David did. You need freedom. Look what he did. Number one, he realized the brutal facts. Verses one through four. Be gracious to me, God, see my abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and have done this evil in your sight. So you, are not, so you are right when you pass sentence, and you're blameless when you judge. Look at verse 1. He says, be gracious. That means I need your unearned favor because I, I realize I'm in a hopeless state. He said, according to your faithful love, that's the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Incredible word, and I want to do a study on that sometime and share it with you. His, it means it's, it's this covenantal, covenantal relationship that God had with Israel, saying it will never be broken because it's my promise to you. And then he says this, he calls sin by three different words. Did you notice that? He called it transgression, which is an act of rebellion or disloyalty. To transgress is to step over the boundaries of God. They're like guardrails. If you ignore them, there's consequences. He called it iniquity, which means a crooked or perverse act. He said, I did a perverted act, God. I, I twisted, I bent it. He called it sin, which is missing the mark which is failing to meet expectations, here the idea is that even though if you wanted to do God's will, and even though you did try, we fail, because you can't meet God's expectations. David is saying that he betrayed his relationship with God by twisting his commands so as to live up to his own standards and not God's expectations. I failed, God! Then he says this. He uses three verbs to employ what he wants. He says, blot out. That means to wipe the slate clean. It means annihilate. They use leather at that point sometimes to write on. He said, I want you to blot it out. I want you to annihilate it off the list. He says, wash it away, which means remove the contaminants of sin. If you are ever outside and got poison ivy, you know, you take all your clothes off and you wash them and you got to wash them, you know, thoroughly to get the contaminants out. That's what it's talking about there. It means make my, make me pure. This verb is used 94 times, which means moral purity. Cleanse my heart. Wash my heart clean because that's what a stain is. I can't get it out. Verse 3 says, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is ever before me. 
David lived with his sin for a year before he confessed it to God. You know what he's saying? David dealt with the brutal facts of his sin. He was rebellious. He was perverse. He was a failure. And he lived with constant guilt. You see, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you are living with unconfessed sin, then it is draining you physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Some of you are accusing a physical illness or a mental illness or something else for the reason why you feel like you do, and, and possibly there are. There are other reasons why you can, but some of you are feeling the way you are in mentally, emotionally, spiritually because of sin. He says he recognized what he did before God and he owned it. You see, Satan keeps us in a delusional state of mind in many different ways to keep us from seeing sin. Oh, we can see it in others, though, can't we? Oh, man. I can, see it in, I can see it in others. I mean, there's Ryan Pratt back there. Boy, I can see his sin clearly, right? Yes, sir, I can see, I can see Pastor Jamie's sin and Pastor Carl's sin. Oh, I can see my wife's sins. Well, you know, I can list those. I can, I can, it's easy for me to see everyone else's sins, right? But for mine, we say this, but mine's not as bad. Or I'm just broken. Oh, I've heard that many times. People throwing that back in our face saying that when we confront some of our elders, we've confronted some people about their sin, and they said, well, Pastor Rick always says we're all broken, so I'm just a broken person. That's why I'm doing that. No, listen, saying I'm broken doesn't give you an excuse to sin. That's why we say it's okay to be broken. It's not okay to stay broken. Or we say this, we say, you know, at least my heart is right. Oh, we do whatever we can to live in a delusional state of mind in order for us to sin. In verse 4, chapter 51, it says, Against you, you alone I have sinned, have done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judged. You see, all sin, even the obvious sin between humans like adultery, rape, and murder are ultimately in bottom line against God. God is a rule maker. Without, without him, sin would be relative and purely up to man. Is that not where we're living today? Our society and our world today do not believe in the authority of this book. And so when you put this book down and say we do not believe in the authority of that book, we don't believe in the authority of God, then we make our own rules. And we make our own judge, judgments. And, and, we, and we say, you know what, it's, there's, there's, whatever we believe is true, humanity's making their own rules up. And then they call us intolerant because we believe what God's word has to say. And here's my concern. Many of you are listening to their arguments and their persuasive ways of saying things instead of going, wait a minute, let me go back to the word of God and say what that says. You see, you got to realize the brutal facts. Do you know why companies fail? Because they're not willing to look at brutal facts. Do you know why churches fail? Because they're not willing to sit down and look at brutal facts. So I'm going to tell you, as an elder board, we have sat down and we have looked at some really brutal facts and had to deal with some stuff. I know companies, Kevin, you worked with some companies, right, in your day? Companies that don't look, that refuse to look at brutal facts, how well do they do? Not well. May I say that to the governments and, and countries that don't look at the brutal facts? Don't do well. You can't keep borrowing money. Do you ever notice that? Can't keep giving money away and borrowing money and think that you're going to have a healthy. You've got to deal with the brutal facts of reality. And many, many people don't. And I'm asking you, 
Would you be willing to deal with the brutal facts and say, I betrayed my relationship with God by twisting his commands to God's expectations. I am to blame, and I hurt my fellowship with God. Kay Arthur, the, the well-known Christian speaker and book writer, says it this way. If you tolerate sin in your, la- in your life, sin will not only take you further than you're wanting to go, it will keep you longer than you're wanting to stay, and it will cost you more than you thought you could pay. See, I'm here today to say you want forgiveness with others, and you got to deal with your life before God. And this is uncomfortable. This is not a comfortable message. And, and I, I would apologize, but it's God's word, so I won't, and say that I, I'm not, this is not a warm, fuzzy message today. This is one of those real-life ones that I'm asking you, and I'm asking me, and I've been searching my heart too, okay? Because it goes both ways here for us to say, too long... We have treated, we've coddled sin, we've treated sin kindly, and we looked at, you know, so many of us, and I I guess my heart is grieved because we see the injustices of the world, and they are out there. They are clearly out there. The injustice of our world, of our country, what's going on, the inconsistencies, they are clear to see. But I have very little influence over those. I I can vote and do other things, but you know where I got a total influence? Here. And when I ignore it here, And when I don't deal with it here, and when I live in a delusional state and explain away my sins here, what right do I have to point the fingers out there? Am I right? So you've got to deal with the brutal facts. Number two, and repentance is more than just regret. Look at verses 5 through 9. Two parts in that. Number one, you've got to realize the core issue is self, the sin nature. Verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I brought you up in iniquity, in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my innermost being, and in my hidden part you will uh, make me no wisdom. See, David recognized it, that not only did he sin, but he was born a sinner. What is David saying? He said, I got it, God. I was born a sin, sinner. I chose to sin, I, and that change comes from your truth. In 1 John chapter 1, I love it, he says this, in your state of sin, do you know what we do in our state of sin? Number one, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We say, well, nobody's perfect. And then number two, we lie to others. We put on this front. We put on, pretend to be what I'm not, and then we call God a liar because I don't agree with God about my sin because if I did, I would confess it and repent of it. So I lie to myself, I lie to others, I call God a liar. You see, repentance of sin means to change my belief. Let me sin. Now, you know what some say? And and this is it. Some of you that grew up in a Christian home or church your whole life, I've heard this one a lot. You know, and I've heard people say, you know what I do? I sin. If I really want to sin, then I'll go ahead and sin. Then after I enjoy the pleasure of sin, then I confess my sin. God forgives me of my sin. So it's a win-win. I enjoyed the pleasure of sin, and then I got, I got confession, and I got back in fellowship with God again. Wow. Awesome. The loophole in Scripture, right? But can I just tell you something? That when you do that, that's not repentance. That's manipulation. And trying to manipulate God is not repentance. For you to start, to then start to begin to indulge in sin with the idea that you're going to have confess afterwards is not repentance. Not at all. So you need to realize the neat core need, forgiveness. Look at verse 7. It says, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Levit- Leviticus uh, chapter 14 
uses hyssop is used for ceremonially cleaning a leper. Hyssop is a branch, a very leafy branch. It's a, uh, so you kind of take it up and it's got all these leaves on it, almost like a paintbrush, so many leaves to it. In fact, when the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, do you remember that the night before the, the, the Exodus, that God said to them to take the blood of the lamb that you killed, dip hyssop in it, and then go to your doorway, and on this doorway, I want you to, to put the blood. So when the, when the angel of death comes over, if it sees the blood on both sides and on the top, it will pass over, that's where the word Passover comes, pass over and not kill you. And that forms a cross, which is interesting that God put another little little nugget of truth in there because when Jesus was being crucified on the cross of Calvary, when the centurions had a sponge full of vinegar that they're going to reach up to Jesus, what did they put it in? Hyssop. They put it in hyssop. And there it is. That he's saying they're purifying me with the blood of Jesus. Isn't that cool? With, the, with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. When Jesus, I just love that. Verse 8, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have crushed rejoice. The word broken or crushed is a verb that is used of physical or emotionally crushed because of sin. When you sin spiritually, it will affect you emotionally. It will affect you mentally. It will affect you physically. See, most of us don't get that. You say, well, all it does is affect my relationship with God. No, it doesn't. When you sin, it affects every relationship you have. It affects you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually as well. Verse 9, turn your, your face from my sin and blot out my guilt. Literally what that means in Hebrew is don't hold me accountable for my sins. David now says, I am guilty. David gets it. It's more than being sorry. It's more than fearing the consequences of sin. It's that I am self-driven and I am in sin. There is no hope in me. I need to change my way of thinking. I need to be forgiven by God. Do you understand what he's saying? David is finally laying it out there and saying, God... I have no hope. I get what I did. I get what I am. Do you know that there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament for adultery and murder? He came to God pleading his case, saying, I am vulnerable in front of you. Here I am, and I have no excuses. God, I sinned, and I want to change. I want to stop right here for a second. Before we finish this message, I want to ask you a question. How do you view your sin? Are you taking it lightly? If through my, the first here you're going, well, Pastor, I, I get it. Well, you're right, Rick. Pastor Rick, if you, if you committed adultery and murder and rape, yeah, go get them. And I'm saying, you know what? Your sins of selfishness, pride, Lack of responsibility, lack of discipline are the sins that many of us have that we've rationalized away and we haven't dealt with them in reality. And those sins are the sins that are cutting off fellowship between you and God. And you need to deal with the brutal fact of what they are and turn and repent with them. Would you do something with me right now before we move forward? Can we just pray right in the middle of my message? Lord, we have a couple more points to go, but I just want to say this. God... The rest of my message is meaningless if people right now don't admit to the brutal fact that their sin is a perversion, 
Their sin is a transgression. Their sin is rebellion. And God, what the sins that they are allowing in their life need to be repented of, changed of mind, and turned from. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just take a moment and talk to God? Is the Spirit of God moving in your life? Is there a sin there or some sins there that you need to say, God, I have rationalized in my mind, I've lived a delusional about these sins, and I need to just let them out like David did before you right now. Father, we thank you for those that are praying, confessing. God, as we finish this message, may your name be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. That repentance is more than just confession, but watch this. Now watch. Now watch what he says. He said, God, restore the passion. I want the passion back in my relationship, God. Look what he says. Six things, areas that he wants to restore the passion. Number one is a pure heart. Look at verse 10. God, create a clean heart. The word create is a mighty act of creation. In me means to me or for me. Bestow me a gift. Renew means a new nature was not lost, but its influence was interrupted. He wanted to yield to it again, the Holy Spirit again. Create me that clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit inside me. David released that his attitude became apathetic and indifferent to sin. He wanted the passion back. Number two, he wanted power for serving. Look at verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He was aware that God took the Holy Spirit from Saul. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and left. And he removed it from Saul. And he was there. He saw when it happened. And he saw it was because of that he removed the kingship from him. So literally what he was saying is, God, do not take the Holy Spirit. Don't take my ministry away. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit stays with us. We would say it in this way, maybe saying it this way, in 1 Corinthians 9.27, don't cast me away from service because of my sin. Number three, he said, give me back the pleasure of my salvation. Look at verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me a willing spirit. Look at verse 13, give me purpose in my life. He said, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Oh, I love this. Some of you said, look, look at my life, Pastor Rick. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm miserable. I'm a loser. I've lost it. Listen, I'm 60. I'm 70. I'm 80 years old. What more can I do for God? And here's what I'm saying. If you are filled with a spirit, you can be 85 or 90 years old, and I want you to know God can start a revival from you. And I love what he says there. He says, I am Teach me, I, if, if you just got it right, you could say, hey, listen, I could help others. All, all stories. A man fell into a pit. He couldn't get out. He started calling for help. As he's calling for help, a, a lawyer came by, not Neil, but another lawyer came by and, and threw his card in there and said, hey, when you get out, call me, we'll sue. And the guy goes, oh, man. This is not going to help me get out. So he kept calling, and, and a religious man came by, and, and he wrote a prayer and threw it in the pit. He said, here, pray this prayer. And the guy said, I've been praying all along. It's not helping. So finally, a little bit later on, his best friend came by. And he jumped in the pit with him. And the first guy goes, now we're both stuck. And the second guy goes, no. I've been here before, and I know the way out. Isn't that good? Sometimes God allows you to be stuck in a pit because someday, sometime later, a friend's going to be in the same pit, and you know the way out. That's what David's saying. Now watch this. 
He says, also give me praising lips, verses 14 and 15. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, in my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You can often tell the spiritual temperature of a church by the way that they sing praises to God because praises come from the heart. Give me back my praising lips. And then he says, give me my perspective on God. Look at verse 16. You do not want sacrifice. I'd give it to you. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Do you know what I find? People that are living in delusion in their sin are very meticulous about their religion. Oh, they want their burnt sacrifice. They want to dress like, dress right, act right, sing right, do right, be right. They've got it all down to a science. And look what David says. God, you're not interested in sacrifices. And it's like, wait a minute. No, he is. Book of Leviticus talks all about sacrifices. He is. But no, look what he's saying. It's not about the sacrifices. The sacrifice is pleasing God with a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart. Here's what he's saying. You can, you can kill all the, the ox and all the sheep you want. And you can sacrifice to me all you want. But it's the heart that I want first. You see, repentance is a changed mind. I hate sin, and humility is a changed heart. I desire to worship God. You see, we need to restore a pure heart. David says, I want power and living and pleasure in my salvation, purposeful life. I want praising lips. I want a perspective on God. And then he finally says, revival begins with me. Look at verses 18 and 19. He said, in your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls around Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings. And then bulls will be offered on your altar. And all of a sudden now, now David's got a burden for souls. When you sense the freedom of forgiveness, you want others to experience it well. And all of a sudden now you're going, I need to reach people. I need to share this forgiveness with others. I need to let them know what it is to forgive. See, in our modern era, you know, the problem is we don't have sins anymore. I read the statistic, I think it's three or four out of ten churches no longer even talk about sin. See, we don't have sins anymore. We, we've made the gospel something different. And in the process, we've eliminated sin from our vocabulary. You see, we don't have sinners, we have victims. We don't have sin, we have problems. And we deal with problems. And Oh, you got a problem? We deal with it with drugs. We deal with it with everything else. And again, I'm not against drugs. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against any of that. But it's not the answer. It is only a method or means to an answer. See, God's no semantic masseur. He speaks real language. Scripture says, it lays on the line, sin is sin. Talk is not cheap. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You see, Adam tried it in the garden. He first had his sin, then he blamed Eve for his sin. It's like blame somebody, find someone else, and constantly that's what we're doing today. But we need to call sin, sin. See, being overconfident is arrogance, it's pride, it's sin. Sex before marriage is fornication, it's sin. Sex after marriage to anyone other than your spouse is adultery. Taking care of your biological necessities is porn. Losing your temper and it's sin. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where it's okay to have me time. It's selfishness and it's sin. You, the use of curse words is being foul, disrespects, and does not identify. Homosexuality is not an alternate lifestyle. It's sin. Abortion is not choice. It's sin. There is always sin in every divorce, and being proud is sin. 
St. W. Tozier says it this way, the part of ourselves that we rescue from the cross may be very little part of us, but is likely to be the seat of our spiritual troubles and our defeats. The cross will cut into our lives when it hurts worse, sparing us uh, neither us or our carefully cultivated reputations. It will defeat us and bring our selfish lives to an end. Do you know what happens when you forgive? There's absence of rationalization. There's no, it's hard for me. Well, you don't understand. Or my parents say, no, you see, when you repent, excuses become repugnant. Number two, genuine repentance means we genuinely genuinely grieve because we disappointed God. Third, there's open confession to sin. One writer puts it this way, when David hit his his sin of adultery until he repented, and one proof of repentance is that you openly confess your sin. People who are generally repentant may embarrass spiritual pretenders who hear the confessed sin and say, dude, cover it up. What are you talking about? But we who have done business before a holy God have no strength to live a life of pretense among mere men. And fourth, we make restitution. We make things right. You see, forgiveness is a gift that God wants to give us. He wants us to live in an attitude of continued brokenness. Not that we walk around going, oh, I'm broken, oh, I'm broken, but no, but oh, I'm broken, but I'm forgiven. Oh, I'm broken, but I'm forgiven. Oh, God wants, he's anxious, wanting to to have you restore fellowship, but it's now your choice. So how do we forgive? We realize the brutal facts. Are you honest about your sin? Calling God a liar? Are you ready to make change your beliefs? Are you ready to restore your passion? Are you ready to have revival begin with you? One more thing, we're going to pray. Jerry Bridges says this. Our first problem is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned about our victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sins grieve the heart of God. We cannot tolerate failure in our struggle with sin chiefly because we are success-oriented, not because we know it's offensive to God. Hey, family, see, I, I'm not really afraid what's going on out there. Oh, I know. I read the news. I, hear the, I see the absurdities. I see the ridiculousness. I see the, the, the illogical. I see the, the, the degradation. And I see the injustices. I, I know that. Here's my fear, that all that is in here. When we, when we, Start looking at sin as sin and laying it on the line with the brutal facts before God without any excuse and calling it what it is and repenting of it and asking God to restore the passion. What do you think would happen if a church got revival in this area? We'd annoy the snot out of the devil, is the way I say it, and bring glory to God. Lord, this morning, we're talking about forgiveness. God, we'll never, we'll never be able to master forgiveness with others if we don't understand that, number one, you have forgave us in justification. And that, God, you're asking us now to confess our sins Lord, my heart breaks for these people, our people, your people, that are struggling with sin, mastered the art of delusion, 
mastered the art of twisting the facts so that God somehow they make it okay to live in their sin. And Lord, there is no excuse for that. With heads bowed, eyes closed, and before I finish my prayer, here's my burden. Some of you have been living out of fellowship with God for days, some for weeks, some for months. Listen, I believe it is possible for a Christian to live out of fellowship with God for years. Some of you have been doing it for so long, you don't even know what it feels like to have that passion. That's why you're so dogmatic and so legalistic and you're so cut and dry, because that you don't even know what it's like to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. And yet you find you have physical issues and mental issues and emotional issues, and it never occurred to you that maybe that hiding the sin and being delusional about it, if you would just let it go, understand you could be a thousand miles away from God, but you're only one step back from fellowship. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, would you respond? Maybe some of you today need to say, you know what, Pastor Rick, I have not dealt with my sin as sin. I've made excuses. I've coddled it. I've made it my pet. I haven't dealt with it. I, now, I, I, I get everybody else's sin, but not mine, and I want to get serious about it this morning. I want fellowship with God. It has been so long, and I'm so lonely and so far away. And all you got to do is confess your sin. You don't have to ask for forgiveness because it's already been done. All you got to do is say, God, I agree with you about my sin. I'm willing to repent and turn from it. And I'm asking you to restore the passion. Watch the flood. In a minute, I'm going to pray. Finish your prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing an old invitation hymn, I Surrender All. I'm going to ask you to respond. Sometimes a physical affirmation of a spiritual decision really nails it down. I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you be willing to step up and walk up here and just kneel down in front? Maybe you want to, like, want to sit right there in your, in your seat. Maybe you want to kneel at your seat. Maybe you want to find somebody and say, hey, would you come sit with me and talk with me and pray with me? I, here's what I'm saying. There is no right way to respond. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Would you do what he's asking you to do? Those of you online, I want you to write down this. If you want to respond to just say, I'm dealing with brutal facts. Just write it down right now. Right? I'm dealing with the brutal facts, and that would be your way of responding to the invitation. You say, well, if I do that, if I respond publicly, everyone else will, th will think that I've got this deep, wicked sin. Well, who cares what they think when you're dealing with an almighty God that knows? And if that's what they're saying and they're condescending to you, then they need to be down there next to you, right? This is what we're talking about. We're just all real people here. And if you're more concerned about what others think than what God thinks, then you really aren't repentant. I'm sorry. That's where it is. All I'm asking you to do what God's asking you to do. Would you do that? Let me finish, and then we'll stand we'll sing. I surrender all. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, dear God, that you forgave us. And thank you, God, that gave us the privilege so we can restore the passion. And all we got to do is confess, agree with you, 
God, stop fighting. Stop trying to fix it. Lord, like David, he tried to fix it to a, it ended in murder. God, let's just stop now before it goes too far. Some people, Lord, they're on that pathway of, of, of totally messing up their life. Some have already messed their life up, and God, no matter where they're at, all they got to do is call out and confess. And the forgiveness that you gave them back at the cross, well, it's there. May we swallow our pride and do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen.